please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Good morning and welcome to NAM Talks. Before we begin, some important general information. You'll find the interpretation button below where we offer the translation in select languages. Your questions, of course, are always important to us, so please do send them to nordeafunds at nordea.com. So let's talk COP26. Today, I have the pleasure of having two very, very important guests. We have the CEO of Nordea Asset Management, Niels Bomström, and senior ESG specialist in the Responsible Investments team, Harry Granquist. So let's turn to recently returned from Glasgow, Niels. Good morning, Niels. Thank you very much, Carlo. It's a pleasure to be here, and it was an exciting time in Glasgow. So, Niels, why is the COP26 particularly significant for investors to keep an eye on? First of all, President Biden rejoined the agreement by executive order on the 20th of January 2021 after President Trump withdrew. With the U.S. back at the table, we anticipate broader buy-in to climate-related initiatives. Also, the European Commission has implemented the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, SFDR, imposing mandatory ESG disclosure obligations for asset managers and other financial market participants. Thirdly, net zero emission targets are taking hold. Along with companies, cities and financial institutions, more than 130 countries have now set or are considering a target of reducing emissions to net zero by mid-century. While net zero is a critical longer-term goal, steep emission cuts, especially by the largest greenhouse gas emitters, are imperative in the next five to 10 years in order to keep global warming to no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius, and also to safeguard a livable climate COVID-19 has shown a bright light on environmental and social crises around the world. What would you say are the key topics you'll be following in the run-up and during the conference? There are many areas that we are and will be watching intently, including strengthening carbon pricing, phasing out fossil fuel subsidies, regulatory action to accelerate the decommissioning of thermal coal installations, and also not least just transition efforts. We will also follow the key goals of COP26, secure global net zero by mid-century and keep 1.5 degrees within reach. To achieve this, to be reaching net zero means producing less carbon than what we take out of the atmosphere. The 1.5 degrees target refers to the goal of limiting global warming below a 1.5 degree increase in global temperature compared to pre-industrial levels. You mentioned the global net zero ambition. How does NAM contribute to net zero objectives and the COP26 topics in general? We have focused on climate topics for quite a long time already. This year, we soft close our award-winning global climate and environment solution due to its rapid growth. The strategy was developed in 2008, long before COP26. In reality, it was developed in anticipation of COP15. Seeing the need to offer this type of solutions, we recently launched a new global climate and social impact solution, which we developed specifically with COP26 goals in mind. 
Already for several years, it has been our ambition to align our portfolios with the Paris Agreement. And during 2020, we further cemented this commitment by becoming a founding member of the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative, which is a global coalition of asset managers working for the achievement of net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. Along this commitment and to support this ambition, in 2020, we introduced a historic set of climate targets for our investments. Main targets being net zero in investments and internal operations by 2050, halve the emissions in our portfolios by 2030. We also co-developed a net zero investment framework together with other members of the Institutional Investor Group on Climate Change. This framework is the first ever practical blueprint for investors to maximize the contribution they make in tackling climate change. And its emphasis on achieving real-world emissions reductions in our investee companies is the foundation for our climate targets. And finally, what do you hope will be the outcome of COP26? We expect more governments to commit to a mid-century net zero emissions target with clear medium-term sectoral decarbonization roadmaps. COVID-19 economic recovery plans should support a just transition to net zero emissions. In addition, we would like to see more commitment to implementing mandatory climate risk disclosure requirements, preferably aligned with the task force on climate related financial disclosures. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure being here as always. And now I'd like to go to our next guest. We have here today Senior ESG Specialist at Nordea Asset Management, Harry Granquist. Good morning, Harry. Hi, Carlo. Good to be here. So, Harry, you know, as we've been discussing with Niels, today is all about COP26 and what's on the agenda. You know, before we were talking about net zero, can you tell us the different approaches to reach net zero and the one that you think is most suitable for investors? Yeah, sure. It's a great question. So. You have to forgive me because I'm going to get a little bit philosophical for a minute because I think we need to start by thinking about, you know, when an investor says that we're working towards net zero or we are net zero, we have to ask ourselves to what extent does it make sense for an investor to do that if the same isn't also true for the economy at large and kind of the universe that we invest in, right? And I think the answer to that should be that it makes sense to some extent, but only to a limited extent. And... So what we do is we take that insight and then we think about the different uh, ways that we can measure and work with decarbonization and, and net zero. And we quickly, quickly realize that there are kind of two dominant ways of thinking about this. The first is to do what we tend to call top-down analysis so that we look at aggregated portfolio metrics for carbon footprint and, and other things that kind of get, paints a, an overall picture of how things are going in your investment portfolio. And then compare and contrast that with the bottom-up approach, which is when we kind of hone in on individual holdings and companies in our portfolios, and then we analyze to what extent are those companies actually net zero aligned. And the crux is that the two don't always give the same result. And we have to make sure that we follow an, an approach that has a very clear link to how it's actually going in the real economy uh, with the transition. And the best way to do that is to anchor your approach in a bottom-up analysis, but still utilizing a bottom-up kind of monitoring mechanism to really pay attention to how things are going overall as well. Well, Harry, then that brings me up to another interesting question then. 
What do you do when a, when a company is not living up to to the standards that we're looking for? Yeah, so there are a couple of different ways that we can look at that. Um, but the most important thing we need to do is to think about what are companies doing, not just here and now, not just last year, but also on a forward-looking basis. Because we know that the world is you know, much more emissions intensive today than it will have to be in, in the future. So if we go around looking for companies that are already zero emissions today, then we're gonna have to be you know, looking for a very long time because there aren't too many companies that fit that description. So what we need to think about is, you know, where are companies today in terms of their emissions performance and where do they need to be to, in the future and what are they doing crucially to close that gap, right? So that's when we can, you know, look at companies' uh, decarbonization strategies. If we find that they're very good, then of course that's an attractive investment opportunity. If we find that they're not as good as they should be, then that is an opportunity for engagement, right? Because it is you know, at this point in time, it is not an option for us to say that we are only going to invest in, in companies that are already net zero compatible and, and exclude everything else. Because I, I don't think most people understand how incredibly few companies there are out there that actually fit that description. Uh, so we need to play our part in actually, you know, influencing companies' behaviors to change in, in a positive direction. And, and a lot of, lot of that is going to take time. Uh, we are in a hurry, but we still need to remember that the transition is going to happen in the future. It's going to happen tomorrow, not yesterday. So we need to be forward-looking in this. And you bring a good point, Harry. In fact, this is a good reminder to our viewers that it's not always black and white and that obviously our more preferred approach is to engage with these companies and helping them to achieve this sort of net zero goal. Uh, my next question for you, Harry, is can you also give us maybe a, a more concrete example to make it a little bit more tangible for our viewers? Yeah, of course. I, I have a couple of examples for you. Um, and I've picked them from the electricity sector. And, and the reason I've done it that way is you know, if we have this ambition to reduce our portfolio emissions and we want to do it in a way that links to, you know, real world emissions reductions, then the first thing we understand is that the size of those emissions reductions are actually the biggest in the sectors where emissions are high today, right? And the, the electricity sector is a great example of that. So the first company I had in mind is the American utility, uh, Excel Energy. It's a company that we have been doing a, a climate-focused engagement uh, with for, for several years now through Climate Action 100. And it's a company that has a historically pretty emissions-intensive business model with a relatively high share of coal in their power mix. But they were also the first U.S. utility to set a net zero target along with, with a set of really ambitious uh, short and, mid and midterm targets. So the other day when I was looking at one of our portfolios where we hold Excel Energy and I was analyzing the carbon footprint for that portfolio, I could see that you know Excel Energy is by far the biggest contributor to that portfolio's carbon footprint. Okay, That might be expected because it, it's in the electricity sector, but even when we compare to some other electricity companies, it still looks a little, a little bit high. But then I noticed something really interesting, which is that when I uh, compare from one year to the next, from 2019 to 2020 figures, Excel Energy's uh, emissions dropped by 15%. Yeah, and as a frame of reference, the rule of thumb is that the world needs 7% emission reductions every year to meet our, our Paris Agreement targets. And Excel Energy is set to deliver at least nine every year for the next decade. So they're on this really positive trajectory, which you're not gonna notice if you only look at a snapshot picture of how they operated in 2019. 
you need to pay attention to the momentum. And you can make a similar point about my other example, which is uh, EDP, the Portuguese utility, which, you know, if you're worried about uh, coal power, as you should be, then that's one of the companies that's going to show up on, on your radar because they do still have a few uh, coal-powered power plants. But when we look at the schedule for retirements for those, they're one of the most aggressive companies out there. They're actually the only utility that's a member of what's called the Powering Past Coal Alliance, which I would argue is the most progressive initiative to phase out coal. Uh, they've this year actually just a few months ago had their emissions targets approved by science-based targets initiative as compatible with 1.5 degrees of global warming which is the best in class thing that you could possibly do so again when we look at the momentum we're seeing a really really positive trajectory and this is an example of you know something we can do as investors to support real world uh, decarbonization rather than just avoiding uh, the difficult questions Okay, so what do you uh, see as the next developments in the net zero asset manager initiatives or the goals to reach net zero? So for NZAM or, or net zero asset managers initiative, I would highlight three things that we should be looking out for uh, in, in the next few years. And, and the first is that you know, now during comp, we've had the first 30 founding signatories, including ourselves, announce our inaugural targets as part of, of, of NZAM. Uh, but since the founding of Enzyme in, in December 2020, we've now reached over 200 signatories. And so that's a lot of assets under management that's going to be subject to, to climate targets that haven't yet been announced. Right? So we need to look out for, for those and we need to you know, be intelligent in, in comparing one with the other because not everyone follows the same approach and we need to understand what's going on. So there's going to be you know, a process of scrutiny, analysis, comparison that the whole industry needs to go through. That links to my second point, which has to do with reporting and, and transparency, because now we've, we're kind of in, in, in T equals zero, we've set the targets, and, and the target date is typically 2025 or 2030, depending on, on, on what institution we're talking about. But the important thing now is to every year be able to track and monitor how is it actually going, where are we, where are we falling behind and who's doing really well, what can we do to do even, to, to do even better. So that's number two. And number three is for most institutions, including ourselves, this has uh, been an effort that's been very much focused on, on listed equity and, and, and corporate bonds. But there are other asset classes that are hugely important for the transition as well. And, and maybe, maybe I can just highlight sovereign bonds as, as one of them, where the accounting methods for carbon are very different from what we do in listed equity, where the ways that we analyze sovereigns is very different. Um, and the ways that we do engagements with sovereigns is, again, very different. So we need to make sure that we can capture the entire investment universe that we work with so that everything pulls in the same direction and and there's a lot of work to be done before we've ticked every single box in that so harry what would you like to see uh, to come out of the cop 26 yeah i mean that, that's a big question and i think there are a lot of things we could say to this but let me for once just give you a short answer and i'm just going to make two observations right and, and the first observation is that you know in recent years the g20 countries alone spend more than $500 billion every year on fossil fuel subsidies. Yeah. Second observation is that most co countries that produce oil and gas today, when we look at the projections for the next decade, those production volumes are actually set to increase rather than stagnate or, or, or decrease. So if I want two things to come out of COP, it's for those two things to stop and to stop very soon. You make, you make a very interesting point, and, and a lot of those, uh, let's say, uh, challenges stem also in the, in the emerging markets. So 
uh, how would you uh, face that challenge? Yeah, that really is the heart of the problem because at the end of the day, fossil fuels are about energy supply. And when we focus on climate and energy, we must never lose sight of other development objectives, some of which are extremely relevant in, in other parts of the world's, uh, world than our own. So there are a couple of ways we need to account for this. We need to think about, about what's called just transition in the industry. So that's really about balancing climate action with other sustainable development goals. Uh, in our climate targets that we set for our portfolios, we do actually differentiate decarbonization rates that we use for Europe versus emerging markets, because we do understand that they are on a different starting point and they, they need to achieve electrification and, and other things that are important for development. And, and you know, there are many questions uh, left to answer in exactly how how we balance the 17 uh, sustainable development goals, but we absolutely need to never stop trying to do that. And I guess finally, uh, you and, and, and your colleagues in the responsible investment teams, along with our fundamentals equities teams who manage our ESG stars range that are equity and fixed income, all these portfolios are contributing to uh, decarbonization and, and helping our, investment, our investors reach uh, their, their net zero uh, target. Uh, could you shed some light on that? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, the, the obvious way that the, the star strategies contribute to to a, a low carbon footprint is simply that, you know, if we compare the carbon footprint of our stars range today with a reference index or most competitors, then we see that they're already today very low. But even on top of that, and linking this back to kind of achieving real world decarbonization over time, we do several things that speak to this. We do uh, very extensive engagement that's focused on climate and, and achieving a higher level of ambition still. We focus very actively, particularly in high emitting sectors, on selecting the, the companies in those sectors that have uh, sector leading decarbonization commitments and are going to deliver those reductions over time. And third, of course, we, we are, do have a very strict method for avoiding the worst performers in every sector, not just kind of the, the um, red blanket sectors. So, so put all of those things together and you're seeing we, that we're in a very strong starting point and we're also demonstrating a very positive momentum uh, going forward. Well, great. Thank you again, Harry, for joining us. Thank you. Good to be here. Great. So now let's look at the key takeaways from today's session. At NAM, we expect more governments to commit to a mid-century net zero emission target with clear medium-term sectoral decarbonization roadmaps. We would like to see more commitment to implementing mandatory climate risk disclosure requirements. Net zero emission targets are clearly taking hold. And finally, for several years, it has been an ambition to align our portfolios with the Paris Agreement. And during 2020, we further cemented this commitment by becoming a founding member of the Net Zero Asset Manager Initiative, or NZAM. So thank you again both to Niels and Harry for this really informative chat on COP26. Thank you to you, our viewers, for checking this latest NAM Talks out. Of course, if you'd like to receive more information or find out more what we're doing on responsible investments, please visit NordeaAssetManagement.com. Till next time, thanks for watching and see you next time.